Alex, can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. All right, great. Uh, Alex Halstead, thanks for joining me today. Uh, Alex, you cover Iowa State for 24-7 sports. Uh, how long have you been uh, covering clubs? Well, this would be my fifth year covering Iowa State football, and I, I think I've been covering basketball for six years. So been around the athletic department between six, seven years. Um, but, you know, in my fifth season covering football, and so far their first winning season in that span. Their first winning season so far in since 2000, if I'm correct? Yeah, you know, in 2012 they went 6-7 and seven, losing that bowl game. But, um, you know, really since, you know, the mid-2000s, the first time that they've uh, had this kind of success, you know, as they go 6-3 and three to start and three, still three games to go, so we'll see how, how these last three weeks go. But, you know, they're off to the best start in school history and the best conference start uh, in school history ever. So, you know, some – some different numbers um, definitely go back to the early 2000s. This is mo the most successful season so far. Just looking ahead past Oklahoma State, um, if you had to guess a, a final record for them, what, what would you guess at this point? Yeah, that's actually something I've been kind of thinking about lately. I, I threw it out there to the Twitter followers, and I put it out there on the message board just to try to get just a feel of what the fan base kind of uh, thinks because we got – this team before the season, you know, when I would go on radio or when I when people would ask me to project Iowa State season or when they would project it and kind of get my thoughts on it, it was always kind of trying to find a way to get to six wins. You know, you know, these last couple of weeks they got Oklahoma State this weekend, then Baylor, and then Kansas State. Those two games are both on the road. So, you know, it was always kind of one of these final weeks, Baylor, K-State, maybe that's where they get that sixth win. Well, now if they entered November at 6-2. Now they're 6-3 and three after a loss. West Virginia last week, they're already at that six win total. And that was kind of my projection before this was six and six. I thought that they could get right there at that bowl um, berth. And, you know, now with three weeks to go, I'm somewhere between seven and five and eight and four. You know, it's hard for me to see them finishing out three and oh. I do think it's possible if they play really, really, really well against Oklahoma State. Obviously, that's the tough game, toughest game left. Um, but I, I think they got to go on the road and beat Baylor. And then I think Kansas State's kind of a toss up game. They've lost nine straight to K State. But eight of those nine have been by one score, and, you know, they're right there in those games. I think they're, you know, probably playing better than Kansas State, but it's on the road, and that adds a little wrench into it. But, you know, the, the, the biggest feedback in my poll, I think, was 65% Iowa State fans think they'll go eight and four. Um, but I'm somewhere between eight, seven and five and eight and four right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, for an Iowa State fans, they just have to be happy to be six and three at this point, and, and already know that they're going to go to a bowl game no matter what happens the rest of the way. Yeah, it's been interesting because you know, before the season, if you would have told fans they're going to go six and six, they would have jumped at that. Obviously, you know, the first bowl berth since 2012. Um, you know, Matt Campbell's second year and kind of already to that bowl game and, and uh, you know taking a step with the program. Then you enter, you know, November 6th and 2, and I think I've seen fans, you know, obviously the, as you win earlier or, or a little bit ahead of schedule, the expectations exceed. So I think if they finish 6-6, six and six, there's going to be a lot of probably disappointment just because they started 6-2 and two and it would mean they lost four straight games. I think if they're 7-5, and five, you know, by the time the bowl, bowl game comes around, you know, people will be pretty satisfied when they look back on the season. But if they can go 8-4, and four, you know, I think fans will be ecstatic. Like you said, you know, there's just a lot of excitement that Matt Campbell's kind of gotten to the point where all these are competitive. You know, they're six and three, but uh, they lost to Iowa in their non-conference by, you know, by a score in overtime. They lost to Texas by ten 
didn't play very good offensively. But then they lost this last weekend uh, to West Virginia by four, and they had a shot to go on a game-winning drive and just couldn't get it done. So even in the games they've lost, they're just a competitive team in almost every game they play. I watched that TCU game, and it was it was pretty impressive. Um, we talked about Matt Campbell. He's really only had one true recruiting class. He's been there for two years, but you know, usually your, your first row recruiting class is after your first year of coaching. So most of these guys were already in the program when he got there. What has he done to turn what was a, a downtrodden program into one that knocked off two top five teams and, and is – already um, just about guaranteed a winning season in just his second year. Yeah, I think it's twofold. I mean, like you said, it is harder for that first year to get your guys, and I think they did a little bit better job than you typically see in that first year getting most of their guys. Um, They only had 60 days to put together that class, but, you know, I'd say they probably kept about five guys, you know, from from Paul Rhodes' recruiting class. And so for the most part, the guys that they were able to eventually bring in, even in that short span, were at least – guys they evaluated. When you look at their running back, David Montgomery, they brought him in in their first class. Desante Jones, you'll see at receiver, they brought him in in their first class. So there are some pieces that were from that first class, but you're right that the talent that they're bringing in is slowly and slowly more and more theirs. Um, they have brought in a few grad answers, but they're still kind of getting their roster where they want it. And they're not definitely, Matt Campbell would tell you, they're anywhere near where he wants to be depth-wise, even though their depth has improved. Um you know, but I think that's part of it is they have gotten some of their guys and they've gotten some talent in. When you get a guy like David Montgomery, you know, that, that obviously helps you. But I think the other thing, and it's really cliche, but they've just done a lot of the little things better. You know, they're, um, I think, the top 10 or top 15 in the country. I think they're the best in the Big 12 in the fewest penalties um, this year. They haven't lost a fumble. The only, the only team in FBS to, you know, not have fumble, lost a fumble this year. Um, their turnover margin is plus 10 right now. You know, things like that that Iowa State has always really struggled in, they're doing well this season, you know. And so I think that's allowed them to win some of the close games that they've lost in the past. When you look at 2013, 14, 15, um, you know, the years before Matt Campbell got here when they were really struggling, they lost 15 of 37 games by one score. You know, they they would lose so many one-score games. Well, you saw them beat TCU 14 to seven, you saw them beat Oklahoma thirty-eight to thirty-one. They're starting to win some of those close games, uh, at least a little bit more often, because they're not making as many mistakes and they're starting to play a lot better in, in some of those little areas. Even though they did lose, you know, a one-score game last week, twenty to sixteen, partially because you know they they had some costly drops um, and, and things like that. Uh, you talked about uh, David Montgomery. Would you call him so far the biggest, uh, the most impactful recruit uh, Campbell's brought in? Yeah, for sure, and I think it's been a little bit twofold. First of all, they brought him in from Cincinnati, Ohio, and that's Matt Campbell's kind of recruiting ground. So I think when you continue to keep going back to Ohio and that area, it continues to help. When you've got kids that have success from that area, you tend to be able to recruit from that area a little bit better. Um, and so that that's obviously been big for them. But, you know, we saw him a little bit, the glimpses of him last year, rushed for a little over 500 yards and probably about six true games, I think, last season as a true freshman. Now he's a, a true sophomore, and so there's still a lot of room for him to grow. And I think their their offensive line has been better this year, but they're good pass blockers and protectors for the most part, but not very good run blockers. And so a lot of what he's done is get by defensive linemen and have him to kind of create for himself. And so, you know, he's 169 yards from 1,000 with three games to go, and 
he's been their most impactful player probably this season. You know, kind of that spark for them, Matt Campbell, a lot of times has said that, you know, even in games where maybe he's not scoring touchdowns and that sort of thing, it seems like he gives him that boost with some of the runs that he has. And so he's he's probably right up there one of their most impactful players, period. But he's definitely, I think, like you, you said it, the most impactful, you know, recruit he's gotten to date. And it, it's been pretty impressive. Some of the guys that Campbell brought in that are already producing, you know, they've probably got a handful of kids that are sophomores or, um, you know, mostly sophomores, true sophomores that are already impacting this team and, and they're still underclassmen. Uh, the other big name on the offense, uh, obviously Alan Lazard, uh, the wide receiver. Numbers seem to be a little down this year. Is that just due to quarterback play, or why does he have 526 yards? Isn't something to you know? Yeah, terrible. Yeah, for, but but for him, it seems a little low. Yeah, his, his he's been used differently this year, and so. You know, it's it's hard to judge his numbers, I think, from the yardage standpoint this year because, like you said, they are down. And I think he'll gladly take it. You know, he's went through, you know, seasons with three, two, and three wins, and now all of a sudden he's full eligible with three to go. And I think he would probably take this swap for that. And his touchdowns are up a little bit. Um, one of the things is, that, you know, the main reason is just the amount they're spreading the ball out. You know, they've got Alan Lazard, who's six foot five, and then they've got, Hakeem Butler, a sophomore who's six foot six, um, they pass a lot to their slot receiver Trevor Ryan, and then they used Marching Murdoch, a graduate transfer from Illinois, a lot. They've actually got four different receivers with four more touchdowns. I think one of two teams in the country with four receivers with at least four touchdowns. So I think it just shows that they do spread the ball a lot out a lot. I think you mentioned it there. Uh, the quarterback play I think is probably affected a little bit. They, you know, with Kyle Kemp at quarterback, he can still throw down the field, but they're maybe doing a little bit more of the screen-type passing, which Lazard can work into that game, but he's more of obviously a downfield end zone-type threat. And so, you know, you'll see him a lot in the red zone, and they still do take shots down to him, but I think that's probably impacted his, his um, yardage a little bit is that he's used a little bit more in the short game and in the, in the red zone. So the touchdowns are there. The catches, I think, are about the same. He's at 44, I think, with three games to go. Last week he was at 69. So he's going to be right around probably, you know, 65, 70 receptions. But his yardage total is going to be down. But um, I guess the positive for him is that those that yardage total is down in the season where after three years of, you know, losing, he's going to go to a bowl game in his last year. Yeah, that's got to be that's got to be big for him. I'm looking at any player who's at their senior year, you hope to have a good year on your last one. Uh, yeah, I've noticed the stats that they do have four different receivers with um, at least four touchdowns. So aside from Lazard, Who's the – is there a go-to receiver for, for Kyle Kempt? Yeah, I guess it, it's kind of weird this year. It, it kind of depends on the game. I think Trevor Ryan is one guy you've seen a lot. Uh, you know, Trevor Ryan and Deshante Jones are two slot receivers. They call it the M position, and um, but it's basically a slot receiver. You'll see them go a lot of bubble screens and stuff with those guys more and more since the beginning of October, since they've made that switch, you know, because – you know, one thing Kyle Kemp does that, you know, Jacob Park relies so much on his arm. You know, he trusted his arm to make any throw, you know, whether the, the pass was there or not. Kemp is a little bit more methodical and more of a, I don't know if game manager is the right word, but he'll go through his reads and he'll check down. So you'll see him pass to David Montgomery on the backfield a little bit more, and you'll see him, you know, go with those short passes to Trevor Ryan or DeSante Jones, their slot receivers. But 
in terms of the guys downfield, it kind of varies on the game. You know, some games you'll see Alan Lazard with five or six catches, but there are teams that have tried to double-team Alan Lazard or take away Hakeem Butler, one of those guys that are 6'5 and 6'6, and then you'll see Marcy Murdoch show up. Um, and actually a guy I haven't mentioned that I think is one of the guys with the four touchdowns is Matt Eaton, who, you know, there'll be, there's like one or two games where all of a sudden, you know, I think against, against Texas Tech he had two touchdown catches. So they've got a lot of guys that they throw in there and, you know, when teams try to double Lazard, maybe he'll have an off game um, and they'll go to, you know, one of those other guys like Marching Murdoch or Hakeem Butler. So it's just kind of game by game. But one thing I've noticed over the last five weeks or so is a lot more screen passes. You know, when they beat Oklahoma, I think 150 yards or of 300 plus came on screen play. So um, that is a bigger part of their game is that short, short passing game. Uh, you mentioned, you know, we've talked about Kemp a bit. I think everyone is absolutely shocked that not only did Iowa State go into Norman and beat OU, they did it with a guy who had, before that game, thrown two total passes. So what is it Kemp has done over this uh, five-game stretch that has made them so successful? Yeah, I think the main thing is just he doesn't make a ton of mistakes. At least he hasn't so far. I think he's thrown three interceptions. Uh, one of them was against Texas Tech that was – kind of a really weird play, uh, but he, he just hasn't made a, a lot of mistakes. And that's kind of been the big thing is, you know, I went back and I mentioned earlier in this that I think they're plus 10 in the turnover margin. One way that I think they've had some success is that they just, they don't give teams extra possessions in that sense so far. You know, you know, Jacob Parker, anyone will tell you, he's obviously the more talented quarterback in terms of arm strength and his body just, you know, looks like a, you know, out of high school, he went to Georgia, Jacob Park did, and he's a top 247, you know, I think even a top 150 high school player. So he's got this immense talent. And so, you know, no one would argue that. But I think, you know, when Kemp's coming, it's just been this calmness of maybe he is more of like a, this game manager, but he, he goes through his reads and then kind of throws it to the check down guy instead of maybe trying to force things and, and turning the ball over. So I think that's been part of it. And then, you know, part of it is it's just kind of been – their defense has really led them, and I think their defense has really helped their offense. You know, I think, you know, I'm sure we'll get to this, but in the second half of Big 12 games, um, now I think six Big 12 games, the defense has given up 17 second-half points. And so I think the defense has allowed the offense to make some mistakes or go in some of the holes they've won in, even though the offense has gotten a little inconsistent the last two or three weeks. And I think for them to finish this season strong, the offense is going to have to kind of get back on track here um, relatively quickly. I'm I'm glad you brought up the defense, and specifically second half. Um, I, I would say, you know, you look at the OU game, they were able to come back and win. Uh, the TCU game, they, outside of that kickoff return, they held TCU back down in the second half. Um, West Virginia, they, they, they almost made the comeback win. So what is it about Iowa State in the second half that's making them, especially defensively, so good? Yeah, we, we've asked, you know, players that because that, it was a storyline, you know, for after it happened for a few weeks, and all of a sudden it just it's continued to happen. Um, you know, like you said, they were down 20 to nothing to West Virginia last week, and they lose that game 20 to 16. You know, West Virginia didn't score in the second half, and um, they held Oklahoma to a touchdown in the second half to come back and win that one. There's just it's The defense has been the key to those comebacks or being able to close games out, especially against TCU when you know it was fourteen nothing. TCU returns second half kick and it's fourteen seven, but they never they never scored an offensive touchdown in that game, and especially in the second half when 
each possession was the, the chance to tie the game. And I think the second half adjustments have been a, a key part. Um, you know, they, they've really had to figure out, you know, how to switch. And you know, when you look at the West Virginia game, I think it's probably the best example. Iowa State's been really multiple in the way they've used their defense this year. Early in the season, they were doing a lot of four-man fronts. And, you know, Bobby see it against Oklahoma State, but we've definitely seen a lot in Big 12 plays, a lot of three-man fronts. Well, they came out in the three-man front against West Virginia. It wasn't working great. In the second half, they went a little bit more to the four-man front. So they've, they've just changed up their schemes a lot, and I think to mix and match depending on what teams do. So I think a lot of it's been second-half adjustments, but the players, they, they do think they get better as the game goes along and settles in, but it's just kind of been kind of eye-popping, I guess. It's hard to explain why, you know, they've only given up 17 points in six uh, Big 12 games in the second half um, because, you know, you're playing some high-powered offenses like a Texas Tech or an Oklahoma. And, you know, Matt Campbell has said, I think, Oklahoma State, he thinks is the most complete offense they'll play. So another big challenge is just like week after week in the Big 12, you get the, the next highest-scoring offense in the country. Um, so, obviously, uh, Texas and TCU kind of showed a formula for how to sh- slow OSU's offense down. Um, OU didn't really have the – I didn't have the effort to, to make that happen, couldn't stop the run game. Um, does Iowa, do you think Iowa State will pull the same scheme? Uh, they operate with a three-man front, pulling everyone back in the secondary to, to, to prevent the long ball. Or will they try – do they have to – the players and the athletes to try that style, or are they going to have to do something different? I think they'll probably – if I had to guess, I think they'll probably go with the three-man front quite a bit. You know, that's what they really tried with some success against Oklahoma. And then, you know, kind of the same thing against TCU is just they've tried to go to that three-man front. And, and, you know, I think the thing that – especially with Kenny Hill at TCU, and I know comparing Kenny – you know, Mason Rudolph and Baker Mayfield are the best two quarterbacks they'll face. And, but Kenny Hill was really confused, I think, at times because they would, they would only rush the three defensive linemen and they would drop eight guys in coverage. And that can help you in some games. It has helped them in some games. It's going to be difficult still against Oklahoma State because of the weapons they have with, you know, James Washington, chief among them, but then everybody else, and especially, like you said, the running game. And that's what Matt Campbell said the challenge was, is that it's not like they running game or passing game with Oklahoma State. They have both. And so he said that's going to be the biggest challenge, is that they're probably the most complete offense. So it's hard to pick which one to try to take away. But I would guess they probably – go, you know, mostly with their three-man front. They'll mix and match them throughout the game, um, Not sometimes even within a series, but not as much as, you know, they'll switch them depending on situations. So I would think they'll go with the three-man front, maybe drop eight at times even, and then sometimes they'll bring maybe a linebacker or something. But they don't blitz a ton. Um, they don't take a ton of chances in that regard. Um, but I think dropping eight is probably their best bet to, you know, try to slow Oklahoma State down because they know teams are going to score against them. You know, Matt Campbell's big thing has been – not to give up the big plays. And up until West Virginia, they hadn't given up really any 50-, 60-yard-type plays. And that's kind of their motto is if teams are going to score, at least make it be a 10-, 12-, 13-play drive, you know, instead of just giving them this, you know, quick 60-yard touchdown pass. So a uh, question I always like to ask. Let's say Iowa State wins the game on Saturday. Uh, what did they do to win? What, what 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 did they do successfully to be able to to win the game? Well, I think I think the big key to me Saturday, it kind of feels similar to, you know, what I what I thought going into that 
the TCU game was they're probably going to need to force some kind of big turnover. I think they're going to have to make, whether it's Mason Rudolph or, or maybe somebody fumbling or something, they're going to have to get some kind of crucial um, turnover. That happened for them against TCU. They forced two turnovers in the red zone against TCU, and they, put, they don't win the game without that. So I think the big turnover is, is key in this type of game for them because it has that feeling of, you know, you know Oklahoma State's going to put up points. And so that – and I think the other thing is they, they can't really afford to get into the shootout. Um, you know, Iowa State's offense is capable of scoring, but, you know, it doesn't have the feel of the type of game that's going to be, you know, in the 50s, you know, like like the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State game. It does feel like it'll be somewhere in between. I don't think they can hold them to 13 like Texas did. Um, but maybe somewhere between TCU and Texas, if they can play that kind of scoring game and not make mistakes, I think Iowa State can win this game. But it just feels like that type of game where they're going to have to get some key turnover that maybe swings the game in their favor. Uh, do you have a prediction for Saturday? I haven't really thought of a score. You know, I, I think I think Iowa State can keep it close, and I think the fact that it's at home allows them a shot. You know, if if they get a big play here, but right now I'd have to say Oklahoma State. I just think you know what what that offense has been able to do and and everything. It just feels like the type of game that Oklahoma State's probably going to win. Um, you know, the line I think really only stuck around six and a half and. Yeah, I, I can see it being that kind of game where it comes down to one score. Um, but Oklahoma State's offense is just so high-powered, and Iowa State's offense, or defense has really shown that it's capable of slowing you know, even the best offenses it's played. And I think if they're going to win, it's going to be because of their defense. Their, their offense has just kind of been too inconsistent lately, and unless we see them really come out and you know, to compete in some kind of shootout, I think uh, Oklahoma State probably wins this game. Yeah, I think I've got OSU winning, but... By about four points, that just feels like it's going to be a higher scoring in the Texas game, probably on on both sides. But it's still going to be a little more of a Big Ten football game than a than a Big Twelve. Yeah, it's kind of weird to to think about. And you know, transitive property obviously doesn't work in sports. But you know, when you look at the you know how both teams played against Texas and how both teams played against TCU and Oklahoma, they're just completely different games so far. And uh, it doesn't feel like it's going to be that thirteen ten type game. But I think it's going to be you know, a lower scoring game in terms of, you know, what some Big 12 games have been um, this season. It just, I don't know, it, the, the TCU game, I just felt like it just fell more in Iowa State's favor. You know, there were some things that they could capitalize on that, that game. I think Mason Rudolph is kind of what puts Oklahoma State over the edge for me. You know, Matt Campbell, you know, said he met him. I don't know if it was last year or year before, but he was down there um, for something. And maybe this was when he was even at Toledo, but he met him and, just said that he reminds him of this robot, that his strength just, you know, amazes him. And so, you know, I think Rudolph kind of, to me, feels like a difference maker in this game. Yeah, I, I think I agree. Uh, last question, and I, I'm curious. Obviously, Matt Campbell is winning at Iowa State, which is not an easy thing to do. He's going to be a hot coaching target for a lot of teams, especially in the SEC, that have jobs opening up. Um, do you think Matt Campbell is still at Iowa State next season, or is he coaching somewhere else? That's that's a hot topic in in Ames right now, and I think it's really kind of been the topic since maybe not the week after Oklahoma, but once they won, you know, three, four straight in the month of October. Um, you know, Kirk Street had comments on ESPN and all that. I think Campbell's back next year. You know, I wouldn't necessarily predict that he's going to, his whole career at Iowa State. You know, he's 37 years old, and 
you know, there's, you know, maybe down the road he eyes a type of job in the Midwest, like a Penn State or Ohio State, that obviously aren't going to be open next year, maybe even the next couple years. But I think he's really calculated in in what he'll do, you know, moving forward. You know, there's like you said, there's SEC jobs, whether it's Tennessee or Florida. I don't know if those are the best for him. Obviously, sometimes if you can recruit and win at Iowa State, you can probably coach a lot of places. And you know, I know Mike Gundy even made comments this week that you know Iowa State, you know, better make sure they lock him up. But I'm not saying he's he's looking to get out of state out out of Iowa State. You know, I think he does want to build something. For me, it's hard to see him leaving after this second year. You know, nothing shocks me in, in coaching, I guess, anymore. But I feel like he'll be here at least another year. And I think best case for Iowa State, you know, is, is that he keeps winning for a couple a couple more years and maybe molds somebody into taking over. Because I think the key to some of their success has been the continuity. You know, he brought most of his staff from Toledo with him, and they just kind of all trust you. There hasn't been much mixing and matching. You know, philosophy-wise, they're just kind of the same as they were at Toledo. I think that's been part of their key to success. It's just the staff has always been together. So, if they can kind of keep on that line down the road, maybe that that helps Iowa State string some success together instead of, you know, what we've seen with the last couple coaches is they kind of start bringing the program up, you know, maybe go to a bowl game or two, and then there's the drop-off. And I think if Iowa State can just keep going up and even if a coach leaves, replace them and keep it upward momentum instead of that drop-off, you know, fans would probably take that rather than having to fire a coach. I mean, I, I, having Iowa State good is good for the 12. The more the more teams that are competitive, uh, the better the league is, the better it is for everyone. So, I, I mean, I, I hope he sticks around for a while. Um, it'll certainly make this weekend interesting. Uh, so, are you going to the game on Saturday? Yep, I'll, yeah, I'll be there. And it's kind of weird, you know, there's still three weeks left in November, but it's the last home game for Iowa State. So, um, the weather's not supposed to be too bad, though. I think it's 47 degrees and um, – and sunny, so it's not like you're getting a, a rainy or 20-degree game. So I don't think the weather will play much of a factor. You know, that's something that you know, maybe fans would hope for, even if they have to sit in it, that they would at least get like a 20-degree game, but it's not going to get quite that cold uh, probably here for a few more weeks. Oh, I, I don't, I, for OSU fans, I'm, I'm glad it's not going to be super cold traveling in a game. I can't imagine that would be fun. Yeah. Uh, well, enjoy the game on Saturday, and thanks for talking with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right.